0: Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.
1: Hello there. I'm Brett Johnson. I'm a former criminal. The United States Secret Service called me the original Internet godfather. The way I ended up with that title was being convicted of 39 felonies, being placed on the United States Most Wanted list, escaping from prison, and I built the first organized cybercrime community, Shadow Crew. Shadow Crew was a precursor to today's darknet and darknet markets, and it laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels still operate today. Those 39 felonies, they had to do with refining modern cybercrime as we now know it guess what? I went to prison. Yeah, no surprise there. The actual surprise is I had enough people who cared about me, who took me under their wing and gave me a chance that I was able to turn my life around. Today, I work to protect businesses and consumers from the type of person I used to be. Welcome to the online broadcast. (music) Today is a good day. I mean, today is really a good day. Yes, the world is still screwed up. Although where I am in the state of Alabama, things are starting to reopen. For example, this morning, I was able to go to the gym and finally lift weights again after eight weeks. So I'm very happy about that. But that's not why today's a good day. Today's a good day. Today is May 13th, 2020, and the IRS, as of today, no longer accepts direct deposit information for stimulus check payments. Today is an outstanding day. Why? Let's backtrack a minute. I'm the guy, I'm the guy who created this entire thing of tax return identity theft. Yeah, I'm that SOB. I'm the reason that your all's tax returns are delayed every single year. I created that crime That causes that. It's nothing to be proud of, absolutely nothing to be proud of. And the way I did that is I had access to the California State Death Index. California had the entire death index, and you can still find this death index today. It's on ancestry.com. There are a few other places which have the California State Death Index. That death index comes with the person's name, the date of death, the date of birth, the mother's maiden name, and the social security number. Because federal indexes can't cross-reference or reference state indexes because of that. What that means is, is that the federal government often doesn't know that someone is dead. In fact, prior to 1998, the only way the federal government knew that someone had died was if the family, the family had filed for a Social Security death benefit. That's the only way the federal government knew that a a person was dead, is if the family had filed for that benefit. That benefit was only a couple of hundred dollars. The family was often too distraught or didn't even know about the benefit to file. The result was the federal government didn't know a lot of people were dead. After 1998, the hospital could file for that, the funeral home, other groups outside of the family could file for that benefit. So after 1998, the federal government's much better about keeping track of who's actually died in the country. Prior to 98 though, absolutely not. So what I did was, is I had this index and my first idea was, I was like, hey, I wonder if I could file for social security benefits on people who would now be over the age of 65. Come to find out, you can't. Even though the government doesn't know they're dead, when what you do to find out they're dead, you you get the social security number, you plug it into a social security master file, ma- master death index to see if it's registered there. If it comes up with a result found, then the federal government knows the person is dead. No result found, the, the federal government doesn't know they're dead, and you can use that to commit types of fraud, uh, open up bank accounts, all kinds of stuff like that. My first idea was, I wonder if you can get social security benefits. Well, you can't because the social security number has been dormant for so long that the social security administration wants you to come in for an in-person interview. So that was out the window. The next idea I had was, well, I wonder if you could file taxes on these dead people. Well, come to find out you can. So it started with dead people, moved from dead people into stealing living people's tax information or identities and filing taxes on them before they could file the taxes themselves. and That's where this entire crime starts out. I'm not the least bit proud of that. I think it's a, a horrible, despicable crime. It, it hurts people, hurts the government. It, it, there's tons of victims across the entire spectrum with this type of crime. I was stealing, stealing $160,000 a week 10 months out of the year. I got to where I could file return once every six minutes. I would file returns from from Sunday through Wednesday. Thursday, I would take a road trip, plot out a map of ATMs, cash out Friday, Saturday, put $150,000 in 20s into a backpack. I had a spare bedroom and I would chuck the backpack in the spare bedroom. One day I woke up, saw all the backpacks in the bedroom and I'm like, "Mm, I need to do something with all those backpacks. So then I learned how to launder money. Now, why do I mention this crime? Because the stimulus check fraud is very similar to that. The ease of which back then tax return fraud was committed is very similar to the ease of which stimulus check fraud today is committed. Why is it a happy day? Well, it's a happy day for me. And I say that because honestly, guys, I mean, it's, we've got 33 million Americans out of work, at least 33 million. I've not seen the numbers today, but it's probably more like 36 million as of today. So we've got over 30 million people out of work. We've got a GDP that is going to be down 40%. Those are the worst numbers since the Great Depression. And guess what? People are desperate. Guess what? Your host, me, desperate. You know what saved me? What saved me was preparation and talking to people. Talking to people in my my safety net. Talking to people like Thomas O'Malley talking to my family, telling them, hey, you know, I I don't have any business coming in. I don't have any business coming in at all. I don't, uh, we've got some savings and I'm scared. You know, I'm scared that I don't know where it's going to end up. I'm scared that I'm going to break the law. I didn't tell everyone that. I told my family that. I told my family that uh, the worries, the concerns, that uh, I didn't know where it was going to end up, that I was scared that I was going to start breaking the law. And because of that safety net that I have of the people, my family, people like Thomas O'Malley, Carice Hendrick, um, the FBI that I work with because of, of this, because of being able to reach out and actually feeling comfortable enough with my safety net that I could discuss these things. Everything's all right. Everything's all right. We had, uh, we delayed our house payment. We delayed our car payments, our, our credit card payments. I've got enough money in savings that fortunate enough that I'm okay my family's okay. And then today, today the IRS stops accepting direct deposit information. And that's a good day for me because I don't have to worry about defrauding the government of being tempted like that. And, and the temptation, I don't, I don't even know if it was a temptation, but it was a, it was a fear that I had that things may be bad. may get bad enough that, that I may resort to crime. My next door neighbor, Ken Allen, he was telling me the other day, he was like, you know, you don't need to be talking about this stuff. You don't need to be talking about, you know, not being able to pay your bills, of being scared, of being worried about the economy and stuff like that. You know, you're, you're not supposed to be this guy. And I was like, Ken, I got to tell you, man. And he didn't know it until I told him. I was like, I got to tell you, man. I said, uh, I am really worried about breaking the law. And the only way that I'm able to, uh, the only way I'm able to not do that is by talking about it, by telling these people about it, by telling people, you know, that you guys are not the only one. We've got people that are out of work. My, I, I'm, I've got 10,000 contacts on LinkedIn. And I hear every day from people that they've been laid off, that times are bad. And we talk to each other about that. And it's, it's not just me. And that, that being able to get out and talk about it, discuss it, has been what's helped me. You know, I reached out because I, I was worried. I don't think I was, I wouldn't say I was tempted, but I could, it was almost like I could see some writing on the wall that that, I've been saying that, that COVID-19, the coronavirus is the perfect storm for fraud, but guess what? It's also the perfect storm for Brett Johnson to go back to commit crime. And you know what? I, I can tell you that I am, I'm damn glad that I have weathered that storm as of today, this this thing about not accepting direct deposit, that is that is that is such a great day because it takes a lot of that out of the way. Now, in order to engage in that crime, not only for me, but for criminals at large, now you have to have an entire network of things set up to receive checks. And that it becomes horribly complicated. So I, I'm very fortunate. I'm very fortunate for my support network. I'm very happy that the government has decided to... Uh, make today the day they, they stop accepting direct deposit information, all those other things. So I'm, I'm extremely glad about that. And I wanted to share that on the online broadcast because, you know, the truth of the matter is, is we, when I'm with Carice, we talk a lot about merchant fraud. On the solo shows, we, we talk about fraud, but, and we talk about some of the victims, but we really need to start also understanding the criminal side of things as well. The truth of the matter is, is that right now, right now, we've got over 30 million Americans out of work. Over 30 million Americans who want to work, who are living legal lives, legitimate lives, who do not, who do not want to break the law. But there are 30 million Americans out of work. Now I mentioned that because I've been talking a lot this year to television producers, I guess this is this is supposed to be Brett Johnson's year of of getting in, in TV and and stuff like that. And I'm damn grateful. I don't think I, I I don't know if I deserve the life I've got, but I'll tell you guys, I'm damn grateful for the life that I have. I truly am. I'm damn grateful for the uh, for the people who look out for me, who ask after me. Today, I had Tom Field from ISMG. He reached out to me. He's like, "Hey, are, how you how you doing over there? How you doing over there?" I had uh, I had a lady. Kate, who, uh, who reached out to me and she said, uh, she checks in with me every now and then. She, uh, she reached out to me to ask uh, how I was doing. And she was telling me that she got laid off from her, uh, from her fraud position. You know, I, I talk to people every single day. Those are, that's my support network of identifying with people, of getting things out, talking with people. And when you have a support network, I'll tell you guys, if you don't have one, you need to build one. Reach out to people. Can I count on you? If I'm coming through some hard times, can I just talk to you and and get some feedback from you? It's that support network that will help you, whether it be friends, family, it needs to be everyone. Friends, family for me, it's friends, family, colleagues, law enforcement. It's all these people. And and what that allows you to do is, is not just become a hermit inside of yourself of what am I going to do? What can I do? There's nothing else I can do. There's nothing else I can do. I've got to, I've got to, i there's something, I have to do this. It's that support network that really helps you, you know, overcome trials and tribulations. So if you don't have a support network, please, please start building one because I, I promise you it will help you, especially right now. And these times that we're going through, it will help you. And I, I, I want to talk to you today about fraud, about crime, because we've got all these people out of work. We've got a 40% decline in GDP. People are desperate. People don't know what to do. And we're going to see a lot of people who usually would not break the law that are going to start breaking the law. That's a fact. That is a fact. I was talking to this television producer just last week, and he, he was telling me, he's like, Brett, he's like, I don't know what it is. He said, maybe it's my old age. He said, I don't know. He said, but, uh, you know, I've gotten to the point now that I'm looking at, at these people who are breaking the law and, uh, you know, you take these people that are out of work and I can understand it. I can understand it. You know, I can understand that at the end of the day, you're going to do what you need to do to feed your family, to pay your bills, to not lose your home. You're going to do what you need to do. And I told him, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's the sad truth of the matter you know, the the truth is, is that when, when times are good, it's really easy. It's really easy to have that moral compass pointed directly North. It's really easy to have that moral compass that, you know, it's concrete. There's a difference between good and bad. I'm, I'm on the good side, but when things start to go South, when things, when we start to get tested, our moral compass tends to be situational at that point. Not everyone's. I mean, there are, there are great people out there that, uh, You know, I look at Aaron Sherman. He's a friend of mine. He is one of the most most moral people that I've ever met. I don't know if he would ever adopt an attitude of situational ethics. I look at Kelly Pope. She is amazing. She is truly amazing. She's a professor at DePaul. She's a filmmaker. Aaron Sherman's former FBI. Both of those people, I I doubt seriously, and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I doubt seriously that they would ever waver from their their morality. But not everyone's like that. Honestly, I don't know if I'm like that or not. I, I really don't know if I'm like that or not. I I know that I didn't break the law. I know I wasn't tempted. I was, I was scared. I was scared that I might. And I weathered that. My fear is that uh, all the people that are out there, these 33 million Americans, 36 million probably, probably more than that by the time it's over. My fear is that there's a lot of people out there that are scared as well that they don't know what to do, that they can't pay their bills, that they can't feed their family. We had, it was, I read an article last night that we've seen the largest increase in grocery prices in 46 years. So if you're out of work and grocery prices have had the largest bump in prices in 50 years, Hell, you're out of work to begin with. You can't pay your, you can't buy food to begin with. And now you see the largest increase in prices in 50 years. You got kids, you got a house that you can't make the payment on because you're not working. What the hell? And I, and make no mistake, make no mistake. I'm, I'm the guy that I believe fully that, that we need to get back to work. We need to get back to work. The thing is, is that we, there's this old saying that war is too important to be left to the generals. There's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that, but you know what? The sad truth is, is that COVID-19, coronavirus, it's too important to be left to the medical professionals. That's a sad truth. It's something that no one wants to talk about, but it's a sad truth. It's too important to be left to the medical professionals. We are, how bad is it going to get? I mean, how bad is it going to get before we, before we sit there and say, you know, we have to get back to work. We have to get back to work. We can't afford to pay for our pay for food. We can't we're losing our homes. Our entire economy is 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 a disaster. So it's it is too important. I'm sorry, that's the way I feel about it. And I, I, I look at these people that are out of work now that, you know, I've got enough savings to last several months. But the problem is is that over seventy percent of all Americans have less than seven hundred dollars in the bank. Over eighty percent can't cannot round up four hundred dollars if an emergency were to hit them. So now there, you've got over 30 million Americans out of work that can't pay their bills, that don't have any savings. What happens? What happens? In Italy, we saw people storming grocery stores to steal food because they had no other choice, or at least they felt like they had no other choice. We see today in America that lines for food banks are miles long. What happens when we can't get food at food banks, when we don't have a job, when the banks are coming down on us saying we're going to take your home, when we're unable to pay our, our rent for, our, for apartments or what have you, when our our cars are about to be repossessed because there's no money coming in, when grocery prices are going through the roof, when a, when a dozen eggs at Walmart shoots from $0.73 cents to $2.42 for a dozen. What happens at that point? I'll tell you what happens. Those 33 million Americans, there's going to be a whole shitload of them that sits there and says, you know, I'm going to do what it takes to provide for my family. I'm going to do what it takes to make sure that I don't lose my house or my car. I'm going to do what it takes. Now, what it takes sometimes, well, that, that attitude, that statement, what that typically tends to mean is, I'm going to start breaking the law if I need to. Hell be damned. Katie, bar the door. Let's go. I'm talking about this because I think it's important to realize that the people who, and there's a lot of organized cybercrime out there, a lot. There's a lot of opportunists out there who are using coronavirus as an excuse to break the law, as an excuse to victimize others. That's not the group I'm talking about today. The group I'm talking about today is the group that that is desperate, the group that that usually wouldn't even think about breaking the law. That's the group I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the group that they just don't feel like they've got any other choice. And by God, I don't know what to say about that. I don't know what to say about that. I mentioned uh, one of the few podcasts I've been able to do with crease this year because she's been really busy. One of the few podcasts I've mentioned a couple on a couple of those where, where she was fortunate enough to be able to join us that I don't think I can blame those people for breaking the law. And she seemed to, she seemed taken back by that, but you know what? I honestly can't blame someone for, feeling that they have to break the law to feed their children or to pay their bills. So they don't lose their house or lose their apartment. That's the sad truth of the matter. I just, and and I want you guys to think about that as well. I want you guys to, to think about that as well. Yeah, I'm not talking about the opportunist. I'm not. Those son of a bitches need to go to prison. They do. Someone who's out there victimizing someone, someone who's just there to steal money, someone like I used to be, they need to go to prison. They need to serve some hard time. They need to get their mind right. Because at the end of the day, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. That's the truth. But, you know, the thing is, is that we've got a lot of people right now that they, they usually wouldn't engage in criminal activity. They usually wouldn't engage in this friendly fraud that's eating people alive right now, eating merchants alive. But they're trying to make the ends meet. They're trying to make ends meet. And I'm not saying that's, that it's right. I am not. It's not right. It's not right. But I am saying that that I don't think that we can rely on the government to help people in this time right now. The government's too busy right now arguing amongst themselves. We've got the left and the right wing that are all about politics right now, about using coronavirus for politics. Yeah, we've got all kinds of criminals that are using coronavirus to steal money and PII from people and install ransomware on, on systems. But we've got a whole lot of politicians out there that are all about using coronavirus to, to, to make their ends. You've got the right wing. <laughs> and Here's the thing. I don't care about either side. I don't. I despise both sides. Both sides. You've got the right wing that they know an election's coming up. And you know what? They also know at the end of the day, it's all about the economy, stupid. That's what they know. So they know that right now the numbers are the worst since the Great Depression. They're all about trying to get the economy open back up. They're all about sending people stimulus checks, everything else. They want things open because November's an election. And guess what? It's the economy, stupid. It's the economy. They know that if the economy's tanked, that the incumbents ain't going to be incumbents no more. But you know what? It's not just the right wing. It's the left wing. Because you know what? They also know at the end of the day, it's all about the economy, stupid. They know that if the economy's bad come November, that the incumbents, they ain't going to be incumbents no more. So now we've got coronavirus It's all about politics. They don't care. And anybody out there, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is all those elected officials in there, They don't give a damn about you. They don't give a damn about me. They only care about themselves. That's the truth. That's the truth of the matter. So now we've got over 30 million Americans that no one really cares about that can't pay their bills. And again, I'm not talking about the opportunist. I'm not talking about these criminals out there like I used to be that, that just steal money from people and victimize people. I'm talking about over 30 million Americans that, that there's going to be a good number of those people that feel that they need to break the law in order to provide for their family and pay their bills by committing friendly fraud or whatever fraud that is, by lying on stimulus checks, by trying to do whatever they can to provide for their family. And I'm not saying it's right because it's not, but it's understandable. It's understandable. I think it's something we need to talk about. I think it's something that needs to be addressed because sometimes, sometimes you can identify with these crimes that are being broken. The people who may be tempted, and and it may be some people who listen to this very podcast. I think it's important because I too was scared, and I am scared, make no mistake, I am scared of the economy, of what's happening, of the the potential of business completely tanking, of the economy completely tanking, of depression-like circumstances and everything else. I think it's important that we have that support network. So again, please, please. If you don't have a support network, it's important now or a safety net or whatever you want to call it. It's important now to reach out and start to get one as soon as you can find people that you can reach out to and talk to about your fears, concerns, worries, and don't be afraid to do that. I mean, we live in a society where people are scared to share things with with each other. So it's very important that we get over that fear of just sharing things, of, of being able, we need to be able to talk about what's bothering us, okay? It doesn't make you weak, but what it does is it makes sure that you don't go inward and the only person that you have to bounce ideas, fears, concerns off of is yourself because that leads to disaster. So I think that one of the big things here, what we need to do is to make sure that we first... We understand that, hey, while there are these opportunistic criminals out there, these criminals who need to go to prison, there are also people out there who are hurting that may feel compelled to break the law in order to provide for family in this time of need. And we also need to make sure that we're talking to each other, that we have each other's back, that we're helping each other. All right. Sometimes all it needs, all you need is just the ability to talk to somebody to make sure that things don't go south on you. So please, if you don't have a safety network, if you don't have that safety net, a support group, anything else like that, please start reaching out to your friends, family, colleagues, and see if you can start talking to people. Okay? And hey, here's the thing, you can can talk to me. I promise you can talk to me. So if nothing else, reach out to me. I'd be more than happy.
0: This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.
1: Happy to talk to you because I'm I'm going through it too, okay? I want you to know that I'm going through it too. And we're back. Hey, I tell you what, let's start a brand new segment. The segment is called The Unethical Life. Here's the thing criminals, and I used to be one, so I should know, criminals, it's not just about simply stealing money or PII or having credit card information and making orders and things like that. There's an entire life of hustles that go with the criminal mindset, the unethical life. So we're going to start talking about that on the fraudcast a nice little segment that I'll be doing that mentions some of these little hustles, scams, whatever you want to call them, that criminals tend to engage in a lot. We'll be mixing that with some cybercrime news as well. So let's go ahead and start. First stop on this tour today is the DREAD forums over on the Dark Web. DREAD is ran by Hug Bunter. He is an outstanding programmer, probably not much of a human being. He has built basically the Reddit of the Dark Web. DREAD has tons and tons of criminal activity on there, forums, marketplace discussions, anything that you'd want to know, any type of of product item or directions on how to find something, you can find it on DREAD. So right now I'm at the DREAD of fraud. And one of the questions that a member asked was, are CPNs dead? Are CPNs dead? Now, for the listeners out there who may not know what a CPN is, it's a credit profile or a credit privacy number. You have to have that to engage in synthetic fraud. Now, I've discussed synthetic fraud before, and I promise you I'll do it again. But basically what it is, is it's using a fabricated or a child's social security number, putting another name to it, an adult date of birth, applying for credit, building a credit profile in the credit bureau system, pumping the credit score up as fast and high as you can, and then cashing it out, walking away with a lot of money. So that's synthetic fraud. It's, It's actually the fastest growing form of financial fraud on the planet. The thing is, is that criminals right now, synthetic fraudsters, are getting concerned. Why? Well, it turns out that the Social Security Administration, they are implementing a program that will allow many different companies, organizations, to verify the social security number that they're looking at. See, beforehand, they couldn't verify that, and that made synthetic fraud extremely easy to commit and get away with. But now... If these companies can verify the social security number, they'll be able to see that it's either fabricated or a child social security number, things like that. So fraudsters are extremely worried. And the guy who made the post, he says, he's like, are CPNs dead? Now, because the SSA is changing up next month, there's a link below to what the SSA is changing. Are these things dead? Well, I mean, he is gloom and dooming it. He really is. Here's the thing about that. No, synthetic fraud is not dead. It is not. Now, does that mean that you can continue, if you're a fraudster, that you can continue to use children's social security numbers or fabricated social security numbers? Not if you're dealing with a company who has the ability to verify the social security number. Now, there's going to be tons of companies that don't have that ability, so you have to watch that, first of all, as a synthetic fraudster. The next thing is is that even if you can't use a child's social security number or a fabricated social security number there are 35 million americans that don't even have credit scores those from the criminal mindset view of things those are what you call victims targets opportunities so yeah synthetic fraud is not going anywhere at all the federal government actually put out a white paper a few months ago that says that this exact same thing synthetic fraud is here to stay for a while. So moving right along. Still on the Dread forums. And we're now over at the Carter's sub I say sub that's what they call it. Instead of a subreddit, it's a sub-dread. Oh, it's so cool. So this thread is, it's titled Shopify and Stripe. And here's what the guy says. You might know this already. And this, the poster here, the person who's posting it, goes by the screen name of Premier Ghost. And he says, you might know this already, but not everyone does. Every Shopify site is cardable. Cardable meaning you can use stolen credit card details, order items on there, get them shipped to you, order services, something like that. So he says every Shopify site is cardable. They all use the same payment gateway, which is Stripe, and Stripe is 2D secure. You will not get a pop-up asking for a one-time passcode or authorization some shopify sites do have some level of fraud detect could be easy to bypass my personal experience with shopify was hitting around $700 worth of vapes from vapeinthebox.com to search for sop- shopify sites you can do this and he tells how to sh- search for specific types of s- shopify sites hope this was of some use and info to you guys happy carting well it evidently was because the first comment below that was, holy shit, man, this is awesome. I'll be checking this out for sure. And of course, there's a whole lot of people thinking and everything else. So this is an example of part of the problem. 3D Secure, Carter's fraudsters worry a lot about 3D Secure right now. That one-time password... The pop-up screen—they worry a lot about that. So they look for bins that that don't have 3D Secure. They look for sites that don't have 3D Secure. They look for sites that have 2D Secure on them. Once they find that, that's they figure that's a site they can hit pretty pretty hard. Shopify all 2D Secure. So anything that's on Shopify is fairly easy to get as long as you you know watch yourself. You've got to use a proxy or an RDP. You've got to use not a dirty device, not a dirty email address. So there's definitely things that you have to do in order to successfully card. But this is that example of sharing information. You've got a guy here that's able to card, steal from Shopify and Stripe, defraud both. And instead of him keeping that information to himself, he is sharing it with the frauding community. That is one of the examples of collaboration. One of the examples that is sorely missing Collaboration is sorely missing among the good guys. It is not among the bad guys. They are all about sharing information, networking together, working together so that everyone can be better criminals. Not a happy day if you're a good guy when you see stuff like that. Now we're moving over to dread because again, this segment is called the unethical life. And it's not all just about, you know, breaking the law, breaking the law, breaking the law. So over on Reddit, there are a couple of subreddits. One is illegal life pro tips. The other one is unethical life pro tips. So in case you were wondering where I got the name for the segment, now you know. So I like to go through this and see what, you know, see what they're kind of talking about and bitching about. Some of it is really hilarious. Some of it's like thought provoking. Some of it's like, I can't believe you idiots are doing that. So we're going to go through some of the posts that I found kind of interesting today. One of the posts says, if you've ever been given a speeding ticket Go to court and dispute it. Always ask when the radar gun was last calibrated. Most cops do not calibrate their radar guns as often as they are supposed to, and the ticket is dropped. Works every time for me and all the people I've known and told it to. You know, I don't know. I know there's 530-some people who have commented positively about it. I don't know if that works or not, but I do know that I do like to drive at a very high rate of speed, very high rate of speed. And I know that you know the the last speeding ticket that I got was for 135 miles an hour in a, I think it was a 70 mile an hour zone. They didn't take me to jail. I don't know why, but that's the last speeding ticket I got. So I'm sitting there thinking now I'm like, huh, I think I'll give that a try if and when, more than likely when, I get my next speeding ticket. I mean, it can't hurt. Hell, roll the dice and see what happens. Moving along to the next one. Here, this is kind of, I read this, I'm like, dude, this is kind of bullshit, honestly. The thread or the post reads, if a premium news article takes one second to block its content, hit control plus A and control plus C on a computer to copy the whole thing before it blocks. I, you know, I guess you can do that. What I tend to do is I either don't read the article, you know, like Washington Post blocks you after for so many articles. New York times does the same thing. Wired does the same thing. I, I tend to be the guy that just reads the headlines like most people do. And I go on, I just pretend that I know what the rest of the story was, but if I do want to read it and that's blocking, if I'm that intent on reading the article, typically what I'll do is try to open it up using an incognito browser or Tor which seems to work just fine. I don't need to, I don't know why you would want to copy and the entire page and go through all that rigmarole when you just fire up Tor and be done with it. Moving right along, ah, here is a dandy. Cause sometimes on these subreddits, these two subreddits, you do get some decent information. The name of this post is making money with FedEx claims. And I'm gonna read the post cause it's, it's actually pretty like, huh, hadn't thought of that guarantee that this is a moneymaker right here. So he says, I've done this a few times, but it will cost a few dollars depending on the item and you need a friend. Recently, I've been shipping products through FedEx and I noticed that during this pandemic, they are losing more and more packages and issues are coming up with extensive delays. So I used this to my advantage. I purchased a secondary address, a forwarding company, so like a virtual residential address with a mailbox that is local to me. I ship a cheap item like earrings or those fake bling watches that you can get for $10. When I'm creating the label, I put the insurance at $300 to $500 and I ship it. If the package arrives at its location, it gets forwarded back to me anyway. If they lose the package or it shows pending for days past the expected delivery date, you put in a claim and attach the tracking PDF as well as a fake receipt showing a customer that paid for the item for three dollars to $500 and include a phone number, Google Voice, Burner Phone, what have you. That you can answer in case FedEx decides to call. Only ship two packages per address, so FedEx does not catch on that packages keep going to the same address. Forwarding addresses can be bought anytime for about $10 a month. Submit the claim saying the item never arrived. The claim will show pending, and you'll get a payout of the insurance value within 10 days. He gives an example. On 15 boxes, I shipped nine were lost or shown pending, netting me close to $1,500 in one month. I've recently had some FedEx shipments coming in, and I can tell you that the majority of them right now are being delayed. So what he's talking about, that would work like a charm. And honestly, guys, I had never thought about just fake insurance claims for broken items or items that didn't show up or Anything else like that? Everyone's doing refunding fraud, but I never thought about that. So that's that's kind of interesting to me. Just saying, kind of interesting to me. Another post from the Illegal Life Pro Tips. What's with the police reports on Amazon? So it looks like Amazon is requiring police reports because, you know, this refunding fraud. So those who don't know, refunding fraud, first-party fraud, friendly fraud, whatever you want to call it, Someone orders an item, the item ships, it arrives to that person, the driver leaves it on the doorstep, or what have you. The person then claims it did not arrive, D-N-A, did not arrive. The person claims it did not arrive, they contact Amazon, Walmart, Target, Apple, Jet, what have you, they contact all these companies, I didn't get the item, and they get a refund at that point. So evidently Amazon is really buckling down on some of it. So yeah, they're requiring police reports, which the answer, the comments are, Hey, just go to somebody else besides Amazon. If you're having trouble with that kind of trouble, here's the stupid one of the day. <laughs> all right. Here is the, the advice they give you. And this is the, the post says this, this is, this is what he says. He says, Rob known drug houses because they won't call the police with all the drugs that they have in the house. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, rob crack and meth houses or any house with illegal drugs in it because the owner won't call the cops with all the drugs they got in there and you can walk away with the money. Of course, the response from that is you, my friend, are a friggin' idiot. First one is that is a death wish. And I agree. I mean, you may not, they're not going to call the cops. They're just going to plant your ass right there where you stand. That's exactly what they're going to do. Stand your ground. You're going to be buried right where you're standing. Another post asks, how do you fake work experience? Not extremely complicated, though there are, geez, there's like, uh, yeah, almost 600 comments from people who are either joking about it, giving advice or wanting to know. And it's not complicated. You go get a burner phone. It depends on, depends on the type of job that you need that you're applying for. If it's just some low-level job, you grab you a burner phone or a Google Voice number and you pretend you, you verify yourself or you get your buddy to verify for you. Yeah. I worked down there at Bob's landscaping. Yeah. You can call him. He's just great. Oh, I was, I was a manager there. I worked there for 10 years. I was the best employee ever had. He loves me. He'd hire me back. He begged me not to go. Oh, I ran the company. Oh, I did. I was the best guy in the world. I was absolutely great. So if it's something like that, you can get by. Hey buddy, this guy's going to call you and ask for a reference. But he's like, Oh yeah, I'll do that. But it's say it's some high level thing, some high level thing. Say it's a job that's, you know, two, $300,000 a year. How do you fake that? Well, you might need some fake degrees. You might need, you might need to buy a shelf corporation. So these dormant corporations that like are in Delaware or Nevada that kind of sh- sit on the sh- shelf and you can buy them and reopen them back up. That way you own the corporation. You could buy that. And then you could, You know, register a website in that name as well. And that way you give that as a reference. They can look it up online, pull the phone number of the actual company online, call that. Of course, you're controlling the phone or your buddy's controlling the phone and they give references at that point. So it really depends on the the level of job that you're trying to get. So there you go. Oh, here's one. I love this one. I kind of burst out loud laughing at this when I read this. This is from the Unethical Life Pro Tips uh, subreddit. It reads, when buying a cat for your young children, buy one that is all black or all white. That way, when it dies, you can replace it easily without your kids even knowing. And I'm like, oh, that's that's pretty good. You're an evil ass, but that's pretty good right there. Uh, another tip from an unethical life, disconnect the ethernet cord from Coinstar machines. So those who don't know Coinstar, you have all that excess change. You go in Walmart or one of these grocery stores, it's this big green machine that you dump the change in and it counts the change, it give you a receipt, and then you take it to the counter and it gives you so much money. I think Coinstar charges like 7% or something like that to count the money. The advice given is, hey, disconnect the ethernet cord from the Coinstar machines before you dump in your change. The machine will give you a voucher for the full price since it can't connect to the internet. Not a bad piece of advice, kind of crappy that you're doing that, but not a bad piece of advice. The most crappy thing though for the day that I read, use Instacart, show a high tip, then remove it. And he says, he says I've seen stories, and it's not he's seen stories, this asshole has done this to people. Now, I've seen stories where people use Instacart, offer a $50 tip and then change it one day later so they don't have to pay extra. I've done it once, I got my groceries delivered really professionally, and then one day later, I revoked it so I didn't have to pay too much. You, sir, are what the professionals call an asshole. That's what I think. And that, my friends, that, my friends, is the unethical life segment. We will be doing more of that, talking about the different types of little scams, techniques, hustles, and crimes that criminals everywhere, both online and in the physical world, are committing. Thank you and have a great day. That's it for this episode of the Online broadcast. Thank you for listening. You know, we've got a lot of fraud to talk about on this show. I mean, a lot. So please continue to tune in. Also, feel free to drop me a line saying hello. I really, I mean, I really like it when you say hello. You can reach me direct at brett.johnson at onlinefraudcast.com. That's brett, B-R-E-T-T dot johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N at onlinefraudcast.com. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or directly on the website, www.onlinefraudcast.com. And yes, I also want to hear what you like and what you don't like about the show. So please, please email me. And hey, tell people about the show as well. Rate and review the online broadcast to help others find us. And here is my promise to you. You will always, you will always get the truth from me. No holding back, nothing left out. And I will always work to protect you and your business against the type of person that I used to be. Until next time, stay safe stay secure and stay vigilant.